Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you here with me on what will be a uh, a particularly freestyling Freestyle Friday. Big news of the day is that you got Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, no jail time. We will be joined by a friend of mine, a, a veteran, to talk about that later on in the show. So we, we will get into into that story specifically. And then, really, today there was, I think, a, a collective sense in the media that people were t- kind of just looking back on what had already happened this week and preparing for next week. There was not a lot of not a lot of movement in the uh, news cycle, at least in the political news cycle. Uh, some good economic news that I know is out there. We have what the unemployment rate is at four point one percent. Jobs were up. I just remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, my friends, but I just remember early on there were all these stories that we would hear, all the all these claims from people in the media about how if Trump became the president, we were going to face. All kinds of calamity, but I mean, the economy, oh, it would just be, he doesn't know what he's doing. And he has, look, this is why it's so hard for us to take the prevailing media narrative uh, seriously because they disprove their own analytic skills time and time again, or rather, they, they prove how weak they are. And, and their powers of. Fortune telling are not strong at all. They are not good at telling us what a particular presidency is going to be like, what a policy will result in. They are, generally speaking, just a bunch of hacks who are all trying to say the same thing because then they feel like they sound smart. Seeking security in the false security of consensus. That is. If there was a slogan for the media these days, I think that would be a fair one. Um, but the point here is that the economy is doing well. There's actually a sense of prosperity right now. A sense that things are going just fine. In fact, a little better than fine. With the tax cut that may come through, I'm here to tell you that for, for a shock, for a change on talk radio, I, I like to tell you that there's there's good stuff out there, too. It's It's not just all... You know, the country's falling apart. We're going to hell in a handbasket. There's actually some good stuff going on. And right now in the country, there are reasons to, before you go off into your weekend, as you're listening to me right now, there are other people who can, you know, sit around and be like, oh my gosh, the terrible things that are happening. I'm out, there's some bad stuff we're talking about on the show today. But I'm also just here to tell you that there's some good things happening. And it's fun to look at those good things and remember that on election night, when there was a drop in, I think it was Dow futures for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is a 
a, a market index of, with a whole bunch of different major American companies in there, and like like well, like Disney and uh, you know I don't know GE and I don't, Disney and G, one of them probably owns the other. You know what I mean? Big companies. <laughs> think of IBM. Think of all the big companies. They're on the Dow Jones industrial. Uh, if, if I had enough money to invest, I would be an investor. You know that's the problem. If I was somebody who had the disposable income to sit around and be like, oh, I wonder how the market's doing today. Uh, I would, but I don't, so I, so I don't. Um, anyway, the point here is uh, that and the market's doing really well, the economy's doing well. Countries in right now, on an economic basis, uh, I know there's the culture war stuff and there's this this tremendous movement right now against sexual harassment, which I've been talking about on the show, some developments on that that we will talk about here, including the possibility of Harvey Weinstein facing arrest, according to the New York Post, which I know is a tabloid, but they get this it's a tabloid that can, tends to get the tabloid stories pretty right. They're saying there could be a uh, an arrest of Harvey Weinstein soon. And then also you have uh, allegations of underage sexual misconduct uh, for Kevin uh, at Kevin Spacey. Um, and then people on the set of the show uh, House of Cards, a number of them have come out, said that he's sexually harassing them. What you, what you see happening with all that is patterns of behavior because predators have patterns. Same way that I, I can sit here and talk to you about what, what we look for when we are breaking down how someone acts and, and the the early stages of radicalization for them to become a jihadist and all that. People who are sexual predators also have patterns. It tends not to be uh, a, a one or a, a, a one or a two time thing. It tends to be something that if they're never caught can go on for a very long period of time. And that's why, you know, one person comes out and says that they've been, and I should note that this, the spacey allegations and the, Weinstein allegations are a felony, criminal, very, very serious stuff, as serious as it gets. Uh, but even in the cases of just the verbal harassment and the much lesser uh, misconduct that falls really in the realm of manners, not of crime, uh, when one when it's said like by one person, oh, I don't think that this or this person was being sexist towards me, I think you most of us would hopefully give them the benefit of the doubt until proven that that is the case or until they apologize if they admit it. But when like 10 or 15 or 20 people come out and say it, then you've got a pattern. Then you then you tend to know. Uh, so anyway, we'll get into more of the Hollywood uh, sexual harassment update and all. And then there's the continued fallout within the DNC. And you're seeing a major, a seismic shift within the DNC after the uh, revelations yesterday about uh, what's going on with well, what was going on with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and how DNC was like, you know what, Hillary, you get to you get to just be in charge. You get to be the one that runs this. Go ahead. There you go. Uh, it was it was fake. Right. It was like Kabuki theater, that primary. I mean, sure. Bernie, the fact that Bernie got as much traction as he did. Given all the stuff that was stacked against him, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. You know, I got to give the burn credit. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do what I can. I got to give the burn credit. I think that he was, you know, out there doing doing his thing. Um, OK, so this is uh, that's just an, an overview of different things we'll be talking about over the course of 
the show. But I, I'm noticing a theme here. And it stretches, it stretches uh, into a whole bunch of different areas of the conversation right now. And it has to do with justice and, and speaking truth to power. Um, the president earlier today said that he was uh, disappointed in the DOJ for what, had, uh, what the decision had been with, with Bergdahl. Play it, please. I'm really not involved with the Justice Department. I'd like to let it run itself. But honestly, they should be looking at the Democrats. They should be looking at Podesta and all of that dishonesty. They should be looking at a lot of things. And a lot of people are disappointed in the Justice Department, including me. I'm sorry, <laughs> not Bergdahl. That's a separate conversation. That's a separate part of the hour we're going to get into. He's talking about the, the, the Democrats there. He's saying they should be looking at the Democrats. And we, we have a problem right now. And that is that the same way that we have come to realize that the media is not to just be trusted out of hand, that the media is not on on the strength of their word. You shouldn't just say, yeah, sure, that sounds like that's right. I think the media has got this all squared away. People feel that way now about the Justice Department, and they have plenty of reason to. Trump is giving voice to this, which I know gets them uh, very upset, right? Because one of the unspoken and tremendous leverage points, I mean, when I say unspoken, one of the, they've quietly infiltrated the DOJ and, and law schools, and, and the legal profession has been largely overtaken by moral relativism, leftism, uh, and and I know that you'll say, oh, well, there are a lot of Republican lawyers. But you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna run in if you're gonna run for office, a legal background is probably the most common career choice to have before running for office. So that doesn't really tell us very much. If you were to walk into in any major city a a prosecutor's office, which would never be a particularly fun experience, but even even most major law firms, you're going to find an abundance of left-wing ideology, whether it's out in the open or it's under the surface. That's true of the Department of Justice, too. And that affects the way that we view the Department of Justice. That affects the way that uh, we interact with the federal criminal justice system if, in fact, we have the misfortune of having to do so. And it's completely valid, in, in my opinion, for the president to give voice to this because under the Obama administration, there was a lot, a lot of clearly partisan activity that was done under the auspices of the criminal justice system. There was a lot of DOJ activity that was very much partisan and, and quite obviously so. And that doesn't go away. That lingers. And when you have this Mueller investigation of Donald Trump going on, which just is looks like it's going to be endless, just go on and on. It's going to be endless. Uh, you know, all of this that is happening right now with these interviews, and I know they had Hope Hicks before Mueller, and Think about what that what that must be like. So, uh, you know, did you have any contact with Russians? Did you ever talk to Russians? 
And at the end of all of this, this has been my contention the whole time. At the end of all of this, the truth is that even if they found out some bombshell about Trump speaking to, let's say Trump was on the phone with Putin and Putin's like, you know what, I, I've got some great stuff to tell you about Hillary Clinton. If that happened, that's not a crime. That's not a crime. It's not. People still, which I don't, that's not going to happen, but just let's think about this. Even if that happened, it's not a crime. So what you have going on right now with the Department of Justice is a, and it was, it's happening with the Republican president, which makes people even more resentful of it. It's even more bothersome in a sense, right? Because isn't it, isn't it now at least time for, to, to pull back this partisanship that's done by prosecutors and by the Department of Justice? And isn't it time for at least to, to shift away from it being negative for the right? opposed to conservatives, targeting conservatives. At some level, that's happening while Trump is president. But the fact that you have this special counsel investigation going on and that it is obviously a political effort that is cloaked in a criminal uh, cloaked in a, in a criminal investigation just undermines our faith in everything else the DOJ is, is doing. And, and as an institution, the Department of Justice has lost a lot of respect. This is just this is what this is what is going on right now. The same way that we don't trust the media because we now know more about the media, it is harder and harder to have full faith in the DOJ when you pay attention to what they've been doing. Now, do I think that the Justice Department is pretty squared away when it comes to you know locking up uh, you know, murder you know murder for hire? Uh, criminals and drug traffickers and people. Yeah, sure. We're not looking for anarchy here, right? I mean, this isn't, uh, we haven't completely lost our our minds in this country. But the moment that the issue has any political implications whatsoever, it skews left and we know it skews left. And then we have to wonder what to do about this because some of us sit around and say, maybe we should fight back and fighting back means fight fire with fire. And that's where you get President Trump saying that they should be looking at the Democrats. When, when, you, sign, when, when you go side-by-side comparison of what Trump is under investigation for versus what Hillary was under investigation for and the lengths that the Department of Justice went to to not prosecute her, to not bring charges against Hillary Clinton, and that's just for the email investigation, never mind for all the corruption and the Clinton Foundation and everything else. Wouldn't it be foolish at this point to, to believe that justice is blind and that our criminal justice system has not been politicized? Isn't that a naive point of view? I mean, I know that Trump's statement today got people very, they're very upset about this. But I think once again, in a sense, the, the magic of Trumpism is that he's just saying what a lot of us are thinking. And when it comes to the Justice Department, I know I'm thinking that. You, you could tell from that clip that he's yearning to for them to be a political operation. He wants to turn the FBI and the Justice Department into a political operation, going after his political enemies. Like, he mentioned Podesta. He mentioned, you know, Clinton. So that's Jonathan Swan of Axios. I, I, it is... It is remarkable uh, how many British accents I hear on the news deeply involved in American politics. 
And some of them I love. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot, right? How often have you ever turned all the news in a foreign country and there's an American who's like, let me tell you guys what's going on in this country, all right? But you get a lot of Brits who are like, eh, I just think, you know, the Second Amendment it really should just go away, uh, Piers Morgan style. And then you, of course, have wonderful Brits like our friend Charles Cook over National Review who's like, don't, don't you dare touch the Second Amendment. Um, I think Charles now, yeah, he's a permanent, he's a green card holder. Anyway, uh, but so back to what Swan's saying, that this is a political, I've never even heard of this guy before. Axios is some new website that, this is what ends up happening, for those of you who are wondering. These websites come along and it's, oh, we're like the new, we're like the new progressive hotness online. Like we're going to, we're going to revolutionize the way stories are told. And if you're on the left, you can raise a bunch of money and buy a lot of traffic on Facebook and other places. And, you know, all of a sudden you're a thing. Uh, but it's all the same stuff. <laughs> it's never, they never really revolutionize anything. Uh, if you're ever thinking about investing in the next big progressive news site, let me tell you, there's, there's a million of them and they're all pretty much peddling the same stuff. But it's it's a great gig if you can get it. They're like, oh, we're just going to, you know, we're going to use video and we're going to tell stories in ways that really just make sure that Americans are woke and that, yeah, they're all going to be, they're all going to be woke now. They're all going to be ready to attack the, the patriarchy and destroy intersectionality, whatever. Anyway, uh, but that, that Trump wants a political DOJ. You'll notice the way that they... You notice the way that they phrase this, or the way that they frame it, is that the DOJ is not political, but then Trump is going to make it political. No, that's just not true. And I've been advocating this for a while, but we need to start thinking about the Department of Justice much more like we think about the judiciary and the Supreme Court. There's this facade of, oh, it's unbiased. There's no political leanings one way or the other. But yet, when push comes to shove, we all know that there are tons of political leanings. That, that in fact, it's politically speaking for the left, the courts are like a life or death struggle. And much is true of the DOJ as well. You can change out the head of the DOJ and put a Republican and put some other Republicans in place. But the overall ethos of the institution is left of center and leftist in its inclination. So Trump saying that he wants them to go after Democrats. We're told this is some outrage against justice. Meanwhile, we got reporters telling us all the time that Trump is, or rather the DOJ, isn't political. I mean, that's a laughable statement. They're not so naive. I mean, they're not so disconnected from reality that they could actually believe that. But maybe they do. I, 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 find, it, I find that hard to believe, but we shall see. Uh, I've got a big immigration story breaking here that I want to get to after the break, and then I will get into much more, including just the sexual harassment stories, allegations, stories of sexual assault now that are piling up, too, in the media. It is literally hard to keep track of them all, and big, big names that will never be the same. That's coming up. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. President Trump tweeted out earlier today the following. The decision on Sergeant Bergdahl is a complete and total disgrace 
to our country and to our military. Well, to uh, weigh in on this right now, and if you didn't know, Bergdahl, uh, the trial ended and he pled, he pleaded guilty and he got no jail time. What do we think about this? What should we think about this? Uh, we have our friend Sean Parnell, my friend Sean Parnell on the line, and your friend as well. Uh, he is a former Army Ranger. He also is the author of the fantastic book Outlaw Platoon, and he's just a general patriot, overall awesome guy. Great to have you on, Sean. <laughs> Hey, it's great to be here, even though tonight it's under somber circumstances tonight, I yeah. think, a little bit, specifically within the military community, for yeah, sure. Yeah, all right, so, I mean, that's, I see, I can't speak to that community at all, and, and you certainly can. You're a combat veteran, and, and I know you have a lot of friends still in, and, and you served yourself. What do you think about the Bergdahl situation? I, I, I echo President Trump's sentiment. It, it, is a, it is a travesty, and it's a total miscarriage of justice, and, and I am so wholeheartedly disappointed in the United States Army for this decision. Not the soldiers, never the soldiers, but but the officer corps. Field grade and above, which means major and above. The people the people that adjudicate these sorts of, of things. I don't know what happened. I don't know if political correctness got to them. I, I, I have absolutely no idea how they came to this conclusion. I mean, if you think about what the core of the Army is about and what they beat into you at basic training, just a couple of the Army values, loyalty, duty, respect, honor, selfless service, Bergdahl violated every single one of them when he decided to desert his post and endanger his fellow comrades. And, and at the time, people thought he was leaving to go join the Taliban. I mean, people forget that. And so desertion... Not just desertion, but maybe perhaps he, he, he wanted to join the enemy. And, and so, uh, I mean, of course, when he was captured by the Taliban, he, he realized that he realized the error in his ways. Uh, but, I mean, this is just, I guess what really upsets me about all of this, Buck, is that where is the justice for the families of the fallen, for those uh, of those soldiers who went looking for him directly, or any other soldier, uh, uh, airman, marine, uh, anybody that served in Afghanistan that lost their life during that year that, that, that he disappeared, where's the justice for them? And the fact of the matter is, there isn't any. And, you know, you have guys right now in this country like Bergdahl and Manning, right? Those two dudes are walking free. When you have decent soldiers who made a snap decision in combat, they made a mistake under tremendous pressure that are still languishing in prison in 20-plus year prison sentences. And, and to me, the, the world is just upside see, down. See, Sean, that's what I think the general public doesn't necessarily, you know, people outside of, of the military and people who don't have military family members, uh, they, don't, they don't get it. But for, people get in a whole lot more trouble for a whole lot less within the military, <laughs> under UCMJ. So true. It, it, it is so true. I mean, I've had soldiers put out with other than honorable discharges, which is a slight step up from a straight-up dishonorable discharge, but not much. Um, I've had soldiers put out for DUI after 30 days of being home from the longest combat deployment in global war and terror history. I mean, of course, I mean, you should never drive drunk, and I'm, not, I'm certainly not excusing that. But if anyone, you know, has the opportunity, is given, given a little bit of grace for making a mistake like that, it should be a soldier that, that's coming back from war. But the, but the Army put him out forever. Forever his, his record is forever tarnished with a, an offense that is equivalent to a federal offense. Like, you can't can't even get a job uh, at, at a fast food restaurant if you're a soldier that has an other than the honorable discharge or dishonorable discharge. So 
Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Soldiers have been put out for far less. Um, you know, the Army used to be a place, and the military in general used to be a place where accountability was something that mattered more than anything else. And my concern is now what, what precedent has been set, you know, for, for subsequent generations of, of American warriors. Is Everybody knows that, that, that joins the military now that while, while certainly desertion is not – it's not acceptable in any way. Everybody knows you're sure as hell not going to get any jail time for it, right? And and that's a real concern because, and look, this well, is can, not- Sean, can I ask you, I mean, what do you make of the, sure. you know, what, what you hear from those who are, well, first of all, I could, I could play, here, here's what his lawyer, granted this is his lawyer, here's what the lawyer says. And I am talking about President Trump now, that the uh, judicial process has been distorted for improper, thoughtless reasons that are basically inimical to our way of life and the rule of law in our country, then you appeal. John? Yeah. I'm Sorry, I, lo- I lost audio there for a second. You were, uh, so, so you've got this guy saying that you know Trump is making problems. He also says that the dishonorable discharge is a lifetime stigma that deprives him of substantial benefits. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, I say good. He should be deprived of, of a lot more. And, I, you know, I, I've been talking about this in the media for the last week. I'm sick and tired of, of people conflating the issue of, of President Trump, like muddying the waters of this, guy, of this guy's trial. I, I, I hate that. Yeah, I mean, he, plead, um, he pleaded guilty, right? I mean, there's, no, no, there's literally exactly. no person who's saying, well, maybe he didn't do anything wrong. Exactly, exactly. And the colonel, the Fulberg colonel that adjudicated his case, he said, look, this doesn't matter. Um, he dismissed that motion filed uh, by Bergdahl's defense attorney. So it, it's a moot point, you know, and I think that the president is just voicing his frust- voicing the same frustrations that every one of his constituents now feel, for the most part. I mean, other than hardline leftists, um, he's just voicing the concern of the constituents. I don't think he muddied the waters at all. And I think I think his attorney is really just saying that because he wants to he wants to he's desperate for a distraction. Uh, because truthfully, I think mainstream America is outraged by by this decision, Buck. I mean, it really it it really is it really is a travesty. We're I speaking. We're speaking to Sean Parnell, who's a, who's a former Army Ranger and an author of Outlaw Platoon, and, and a buddy of mine. And Sean, uh, have you spoken to anybody in the military community who's like, you know, I mean, I I think that I think that you know he did suffer because this is what you hear, right? I think that he suffered with the Taliban and. And, you know, maybe this is OK. I mean, I, I mean, literally one. Right. Like usually people will say everyone in the military agrees with X and then I'll turn on MSNBC and there'll be some some person who I mean, you know, maybe they were like, a, a you know, a, a logistics sergeant that never left the continental United States. And they'll be talking about like the rigors of combat. But I'm just saying, like, you know, the, the, the point here is that they'll find somebody I have yet to see. And I'm not from within the community, so I don't know. I have yet to see a single person be like, you know what? I think the Bergdahl thing, I served in the military, and I think it's just about right. Well, I mean, I'm sure those ghouls are going to come out of the woodwork soon. Uh, I certainly haven't seen one yet, you know, but I, I think I, I might have an, a, a hypothesis. And, and so desertion is, is a crime in the military that is, that is worse than death. I, I am telling you. That, and this is not hyperbole, and, and I'm not trying to overspeak here at all, but I would rather die on the battlefield than desert my brothers in combat. I, I, it, is, it is, you know, death before dishonor. 
That is something that everybody in the military, regardless of what branch you serve in, believes. Because you, even in the worst of circumstances, when combat is at its worst and you give up all hope uh, that you might even be coming home, you give up hope that you're going to survive a combat deployment, the, the smallest glimmer of hope in your heart that you can still cling on to is that your brothers and sisters in arms are going to lay in that foxhole with you and they're going to go through it with you. And Bergdahl betrayed that sacred trust. Uh, that that is that is sacrosanct in the military and has been for over two hundred years. And there there were um, and there it, were costs too, which I think everybody listening, if you're not aware of, we we should we should remind them or or let them know that there were people, uh, there were members of the military who were grievously wounded, uh, people who lost their lives in the search for Bergdahl, and we also traded five senior Taliban fighters from Gitmo for Bergdahl. I know there is there is so much to this, isn't there? I, I, I mean. I, and it's not just the soldiers. The soldiers that, that were killed in action looking for him were tragic. But I cannot overstate how Bergdahl's disappearance in Afghanistan disrupted combat operations for an entire year. Soldiers in R.C. North, East, South, and West were denied close air support and rotary wing support and intelligence uh, surveillance and reconnaissance platforms like Predator and Reaper drones, because they were all diverted looking for Bergdahl. So here, here are guys, here are troops at, at, that are pinned down by the enemy in Afghanistan. And listen, I've been pinned down before. It, or, there is no closer thing to hell on earth than being pinned down by an enemy that outnumbers you 10 to 1. And I cannot imagine that for an entire year, soldiers were denied close air support to help them break contact or help them beat back the enemy because because helicopters, airplanes, uh, predator drones were all out looking for him. So the army the army has said, well, you know, not a single soldier has died looking for Bergdahl. I'm serious. The, ar- the army's come out and said that, but it's they, they can't possibly believe that because because. Every bit of close air support in, in Afghanistan during the year that Bergdahl disappeared was diverted in support of looking for him. And so countless soldiers, my, my battalion, who, who, they were there when Bergdahl deployed, it, it, when Bergdahl disappeared. They were deployed uh, in the Tangy Valley, and they had something like 192 wounded and lost 25 people that year. That is the 25 people from an infantry battalion of 800 is, is, is what, what you would call a platoon minus of combat power. It's almost an entire platoon. Now multiply that, you know, just extrapolate that uh, and do the math of all the thousands of soldiers that were in, Af- in Afghanistan. How many do you think were wounded and killed because they were denied air support? I, I got to believe the number is, is very high. And Sean, and it's, it, it's, it's so troubling. Uh, and uh, I'm really glad you're putting this in perspective for everybody who's listening, because I know, I mean, I've got a lot of people who are who are current or former military who listen to this show, and they've reached out on this topic and it, it, for a long time now, because the Bergdahl thing's been going on for a long time. And to, to a man, to a woman, every single one of them is like, Bergdahl, it's, it's completely unacceptable, and he needs to be severely punished for this. And, you know, I just have to then juxtapose that sentiment that has been expressed to me by many veterans, including you. Uh, And then you have the Obama administration 
holding a, a press conference in the at the White House, literally celebrating this guy's return as as a huge victory, and then you get. National Security Advisor, Con- I mean, uh, uh, what was um, Susan Rice? Susan Rice, thank you. National Security Advisor Susan Rice, saying that he served honorably and with distinction. Isn't doesn't it make you sick to your stomach? And let me ask, let me ask you this: How many how many people, Buck? And you are wired into this community more than me. But how how many people in the mainstream media did you hear come out and complain about Obama's press conference and how he might potentially be tainting the jury in Bergdahl's favor. That's an excellent when point. He had the... None! It was a White House no, press what? conference. The guy was like, it, it, was, a tr- it was a hero's welcome. He had a hero's <laughs> welcome. You're totally right. Exactly. And, and how intellectually dishonest is it? I mean, God, like President Trump gets attacked. I mean, sometimes justified. In my, in my eyes, most of the time not. But how many people in the media came out in and in, in attacked President Obama in the same fashion that they would that they that they have been consistently attacking President Trump for uh, in the wake of this Bergdahl scandal. That's... I mean, it, it is it is the, the media does the American people a tremendous disservice, and this Bergdahl case is really a microcosm of why, you know. And, and, and it's just and, and I, I got to how much how much do you think that that Rose Garden appearance with Bergdahl's parents, a hero's welcome. He served with honor and distinction. Susan Rice, you know, on all these Sunday shows, uh, talking well, about I mean, that. Sean, it's even more than just the appearance of it. I mean, the the people in the military and, you know, it's a question of Obama's legacy tied into this now, too. And, and if Bergdahl yeah, no, no, got no. 20 years in prison after the prison, after the swap and he came back, well, then it looks pretty bad for Obama and all the top officials that we have on video talking about how great he is, right? So you make a you make a critical point. I think it really did influence a lot, and also shows us what a bunch of of whiners and liars that there are in the media. When you know today it's oh he's tainting the jury pool and he's t- speaking. Oh, Obama did stuff like that all the time. All right, everyone, if you haven't already, you got to check out Outlaw Platoon. It's on Amazon. It's Sean's book. It's a great book. Also follow Sean Parnell on Twitter and wherever else he's doing his stuff. Sean, you're the man, sir. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your <laughs> hey, call. Thanks, Buck. Give the missus my regards and have a great weekend. <laughs> I will, man. You too. You have a All great right. weekend, too. You too. Team, we're going to roll into a break and we'll be back with much more. Stay with me. Team, just so you uh, know, the reason that uh, we haven't uh, opened up the show for. Action Movie Quote Friday yet is because the same reason also I'm not, and I appreciate all of you that try to call in, the same reason I haven't taken calls. We are we are live here on the show, um, but uh, one of our producers had to take uh, the dog to the veterinary hospital, and I completely understand, respect, and, and uh, am all, all about making sure the dog is okay. So we are... We're a person down here in the hut, which means that right now we're not taking, that's why we're not doing Action Movie Code Friday or taking any calls. And I'm just trying also to think about, uh, make you know, get all wound up in how, how the pup is doing. Um, I think he's going to be fine, but he's just at the, he's at the hospital. And I understand that uh, we got to let producer Amy needs to take care of her dog. And the dog is... Uh, very important to her. It's very important to all of us. I, I'm a big dog person, and I hope that everything's okay. So that's why I'm telling you about it so that you understand why we're not taking calls and why we have not yet gone with Action Movie Code Friday because I, I can't do the show and take calls. Oh, that would be a bit strange, although that would actually 
maybe that would be an interesting segment if we just took calls on the fly when I was on the on the air here. You know, like hear them ring and you know, hey, who's this? Uh, I will say that we have a lot of fantastic callers on this show, and incredibly, we have an incredibly uh, diverse and brilliant, and I mean diverse in the sense of you know actually, uh, well, in every sense. You know, but I was going to say diverse interests, diverse backgrounds, diverse professions. Um, and a tremendous amount of expertise as well. I, I really, I'm pretty confident that if I if I posed out loud any issue uh, or any any question regarding history, firearms, or Christianity on this show, any question, I would get an incredible answer in a very very short period. I mean, I, I would get the answer to the question. Doesn't matter how hard. Doesn't matter the level of difficulty. This audience listening to the show could get me an amazing answer, and uh, and I do very much appreciate all that. So I just wanted you to know I'm not trying to rant on and on here without taking your calls. I know it's a Friday. Uh, with it's not just that I'm so obsessed with with what I have to say or something. It's that we have someone who had to, you know, we had a dog. We had a dog emergency team, uh, and dog emergency is, counts for a lot here in the hut. So I uh, gotta let gotta let producer Amy take uh, take care of her of her pup. So if, if she can make it in, um, if she can make it in over the course of the show, we'll open it up and I'll also check and see how, how the dog is doing. Um, but in the meantime, we are, uh, we're a lady, we're a lady down here in the hut during the show for the time being. So I am going to take you on a, on a, a buck directed audio journey for the next, uh, at least for the next hour or so. Uh, I will be getting into, um, the story on immigration that I meant to talk to you about earlier in this hour. It's pretty big, actually. Maybe I'll just leave that out there. And then we've got the updates on the sexual harassment stories. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Some, some good news about the economy. And uh, now I'll, I'll give you some news that it's even even closer to home. I, I just heard from producer Amy, and she is uh, well. She's fine. the The dog is fine. Um, they're at the dog hospital, but all I think I think she, I think Amy has. I've actually haven't met her dog yet, but I think she has a producer. Amy has a American husky. Husky is that right? Yeah, yeah. He's a big. He's a pretty big. Uh, pretty big boy, right? Like eighty, ninety pounds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty, pretty big fellow. Um, uh, so, Ramos is telling me here that uh, it's a husky. That's what I thought. Yeah, so the husky's going to be okay. The husky will be okay. He had to get rushed to the hospital, but he's all right. Uh, and Amy's going to be taking care of him for the night. So it's just me and Ramos tonight, and he's got to run the board. So we can't get calls right now. But uh, that just means I got to focus in on the show, and it also means that well, we're all thankful that, that the pup pup is okay. Uh, and then also, if you want to send me thoughts, if you were if you had something that you were just waiting to tell me today on the show, uh, you can obviously call in any any day next week, any day hereafter. Uh, but also, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is a good place to go for sharing uh, whatever you whatever you got on the show. OK, with all that said, and since we are not doing action movie quote Friday, I wanted to move right into a story here that is. I wonder how much attention it'll actually get. It just broke on the uh, Washington Post website. And 
it, I, I'm, I'm thinking this will, it depends on what the final decision is, but it has to do with immigration policy, which is clearly a, uh, clearly a hot button topic for a whole bunch of reasons. And it has to do with something called temporary protected status, which I am, uh, I will be honest with you, I was not even really aware of this program. I think I had maybe read some things about it in the past, but I hadn't really remembered much of it. So a temporary protected program. And here is what's happening. More than 300,000, this is from the Washington Post, more than 300,000 Central Americans and Haitians living in the United States under a form of temporary permission no longer need to be shielded from deportation. The U.S. Department of State told Homeland Security officials this week a few days ahead of a highly anticipated DHS announcement about whether to renew that protection. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson sent a letter to acting DHS Secretary Elaine Duke to inform her that conditions in Central America and Haiti have been used to justify the protection no longer necessitated a reprieve for the migrants some of whom have been allowed to live and work in the United States for 20 years under a program known as Temporary Protected Status. Uh, DHS has until Monday to announce its plans for roughly 57,000 Hondurans and 2,500 Nicaraguans whose TPS protections will expire in early January. Uh, So... This is very, very interesting. Uh, now, it's not a huge number in terms of the overall immigration picture. Well, we, we know that. But 57,100, 2,500 Nicaraguans, the issue at hand here is there's this program that the Department of Homeland Security is reviewing and that the State Department is involved in as well. And it basically says... That if you come from certain countries and you come into the and you're in the country illegally because of the situation in that country, you will not be subject to deportation, which means that you can stay. Now, it is not a a permanent situation, although it started to feel like that because some people have been on this temporary status for 20 years. It's supposed to be just for as long as is absolutely necessary until the country, the home country of the individual, is safe or is no longer a disaster area. And then, presumably, if immigration laws were to be enforced, these people would have to go back. But that has not happened, at least not until now. And when you're, when you're looking at some of these countries... Uh, Honduras and Nicaragua, the the reason for the temporary protected status, the TPS, not to be confused with TPS reports from office space, uh, the reason for it is that the security situation, essentially crime is really rampant. Crime is really bad in some of these Central American countries. That's why they mentioned the security situation as one of the reasons for this. Now, look, I think that there's going to be an interesting case to be made here that if somebody's been allowed to stay for 20 years under TPS, first of all, it's unlikely to me that they would go to the front of the line for deportation if they've been here uh, otherwise law-abiding and in their communities. Some of them have 
I'm sure many of them have U.S. born children. So they would also then fall under the uh, deferred action of parental arrivals category that President Obama was pushing for a while. And, and I don't expect that these are individuals who would be uh, who would be deport, who would be at the front of the line for deportation. Right. They would not be a deportation priority. But what this shows us is that this administration, unlike previous administrations, is looking at the law when it comes to immigration and trying to restore a sense of the words in the law have meaning. The words in the law are supposed to mean something. It's not just a suggestion that you can ignore based on whatever is politically convenient at any given time. And so, in this case, you may have the revocation of temporary protected status for some number, you know, tens of thousands of people who are in the country from certain... Uh, Haiti is one of them as well. Now, for with, in the case of Haiti, it was because of the earthquake, which was a devastating earthquake. And also didn't get all the funds that it was supposed to because the Clinton Foundation was involved in uh, Haiti earthquake relief. And as we know, Clinton Foundation is wildly corrupt, even though the media doesn't particularly want to talk about that all that much. Uh, But because Haiti was hit so badly by the earthquake, they also had temporary protected status. If any Haitian was in the United States, uh, they would be covered under uh, under this protection. And now that may go away. The largest single group of TPS recipients, by the way, 200,000 of them are from El Salvador. And 30,000 of them live in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and so here, here's what's going to happen. This is part of a pro- I'm going to take the most positive view of this I can from the administration's perspective, because by revoking this status, that doesn't mean that. There will be a deportation of all of the, of all these people. It just means that there will no longer be the falsehood of a program that is literally called temporary enacted permanently. It's not protected status. It's not permanent protected status. PPS. It is TPS temporary protected status, meaning it is supposed to be in the very by the very name, the very definitional terminology here. It is supposed to be a for a while thing, not a forever thing. Now, that means that people that would lose their TPS status would theoretically be subject to deportation. But the entirety of the 11 or 12 million illegal immigrants in the country are theoretically subject to deportation. As we know, that's not happening anytime soon. They prioritize uh, criminal illegal aliens, meaning those who have committed cr- criminal acts in addition to this, their status in this country uh, for deportation. And even in some cases, in, in many cases, those who break the law who are in the country legally because of sanctuary city policies do not end up getting deported. So th- this does not change all that much, but it is part of restoring a basic respect for the law as written when it comes to immigration. And if we are going to do something about immigration policy in this country through the legislature, which is a huge if. I I don't know. I think that I think this is where you see who the the fakers are, who the cowards are in the Republican Party. When it comes time for fundraising and for reelection, they're all all about all about border security and they're all border hawks. 
But then when, it, you know, when it's time to see what the New York Times editorial page is writing about them and they're in the D.C. New York corridor and they want to be treated nicely by the fancy people in the media, the business community, then they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking amnesty is probably the way to go. We see this time and time again. The only way to stop it is to punish those who, at the ballot box, who break their promises to voters. But it's tough. It's tough because there are so many Republicans who are slippery on this issue. But clarity is essential. And we can only get clarity when these different programs and carve-outs and loopholes and all this stuff, this all has to go away. We, we need to establish as much as possible that for any immigration change to happen, for any uh, immigration policies to be meaningfully altered. We need to know what what we're dealing with, how many people we're dealing with, and, and what we're really expected to do and, and what we think the government will be able to, to do in response to this massive problem. So, you know, we'll see what happens with TPS. Uh, they're going to see a lot of teary-eyed stories in the media about, oh, you know, they're breaking, they're always breaking up families. And as I know, yeah, when, when they send someone to prison for tax fraud, they're also breaking up a family. And does tax fraud affect you? The answer is not any one tax fraud has zero effect on anything. And yet they still send people to prison for it. They're maybe going to send Paul Manafort to prison for it. So they can't pretend like they don't care much about tax fraud right now. Breaking up families is just emotional. That line is just emotional manipulation. Uh, If they if the same people who said that about illegal immigrants said it about all nonviolent crime that sends people to prison, I would have much more respect for their point of view. But the nonviolent crime of immigration fraud is separated from all the other crimes out there that also have no real deleterious effect on society in any one instance, right? Taken in the aggregate, they do. But anyway, that's what uh, that's what I have to say about uh, TPS. And we'll see where this goes. If, in fact, they revoke the status I would expect that the media is going to make a big deal out of this for the emotional appeal on the merits. They lose because it's, as I said, supposed to be temporary, but they'll make the emotional appeal. We'll see a lot of class valedictorians who are under the you know TPS order, or we'll see a lot of they will find the most compelling, sympathetic cases possible. You know, they will find that uh, TPS protectee who is is running like two shelters for abandoned puppies and is a road scholar and and you see this is representative of what you're you're just destroying the fabric of America by revoking this protection that's what they'll do so just get ready for that um all right now I wanted to get into the uh the democrats response a little bit to the whole rigging of their election very interesting very interesting fallout from that continuing and then more revelations about the sexual harassment sexual misconduct Sexual assault. I mean, it's just a it, it's a a tidal wave of sexual misconduct allegations right now that is still growing and still sweeping across America. So we will dive into some of that, too, uh, and we'll be right back with more. Stay with me. I see the president has landed in Hawaii. Aloha. Uh, He is on his way to Asia for a a big trip and 
the media's making a big deal about how he's not going to the DMZ. Um, okay. I mean, I'm sure that, that would do very little to change anything, but nonetheless, um, that's something that was getting some attention earlier in the week, but he's out in Hawaii. Actually, Molly was telling me that she wants to go to Hawaii. Miss Molly was talking to me about it. And I, uh, Hawaii is so awesome. I love it there. I think it's great. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I know it's an island and so things are expensive, but it's so beautiful. And it's amazing to be in a place where you're in America, but you have world-class beaches, perfect weather, amazing food, a tremendous concentration of U.S. military, particularly U.S. naval power. So, like, you feel like... You know, it's all good. They got you covered. Uh, Hawaii is a great place. I'm, I've been there a few times, and I've, I'm a big fan. If it weren't a 10-hour flight, I would spend more time there. But I'm sure the president's enjoying himself. Uh, and I know he's very busy with the visit, but Hawaii is a, a great place to go. Um, he is out there on his way to Asia. And I, maybe I'll talk to you. I'm not sure if we'll get into the, on, at this point in the show or at, today about what the Asia trip really signifies and what my expectations are, but um, there will be certainly some, as he goes along, and there are meetings with Prime Minister of Japan and South Korea and all these different places. Or I don't know what his schedule is. I'm assuming he's meeting with, with those with those individuals, but uh, as, as he goes along, there'll be more for me to get into in terms of specifics on what I think he has been up to and what's going on. So with that, the DNC was rigging the primary. Talked about it yesterday. Not surprising, but confirmed, right? Not a, a shock to those of us who remember how things were going in the election, but still a little bit of a wow moment for all of us. And here here you see the schism playing out with the Democrat Party. Uh, you had a former Sanders person, Nina Turner, who was not having it from just... Absol- Hillary absolutist, Hillary Clinton absolutist, Hillary Rosen, who is just, <laughs> of all the, she's up there with, I can't remember her name now, but there was, oh, Maria Cardona over at CNN, who will say, who would say anything in Hillary's defense, and there's nothing you can say about Hillary that is positive enough to make her happy. I've never heard her say anything insightful, interesting, or honest in, in all the time that she's been. I did some segments with her back in the day, all the time that she's been on TV. It's just one long string of Hillary's amazing. She's the smartest. She's the best. She's the most wonderful. She's the warmest. She's the most caring. She's amazing. But what happened was they forgot how warm and loving I was. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting to see this play out because there are clearly some Sanders folks who are like, you know what? I'm not okay with how this went down. And Nina Turner is apparently one of them. Well, it's stunning, Don. Not surprising because I and others uh, from the Bernie world, from Senator Sanders' campaign, was saying that something was wrong all along. For Democrats to spend a second relitigating this primary fight could not be, you know, stupider. Donna said that she found no proof and no evidence at all that the system was rigged. She just said that Hillary Clinton's money was holding up the DNC. Since you want to go there, 
This is really about a DNC that lacks accountability and transparency, period. Yeah, and we can maybe, deal with more than one thing at a time. That's not we about have rigging to restore, an election. Let's we have to restore that. the faith and credibility of the Democratic Party. And statements like you're mm -hmm. making doesn't help. People are yeah. hurt by this revelation, and this does not help. So to cover it up doesn't help. So don't go there with that. Go Nina Turner. Yeah. I'm, I, I like it. I like what she's saying. Uh, yeah, she's right. You know, that hit the Hillary Rosen, you know, Hillary for Hillary here. The, uh, the, the, the dead ender nature of this, you know, Hillary, no matter what, I mean, she's like, uh, she's just refusing to get out of the pro Hillary bunker. You know, it's just not happening. She's just, Oh, you know, we shouldn't relitigate this. No, I think we should. I think we should. And, and until we have the numbers on the Clinton Foundation, I will not stop reminding you that at some point we will see whether it really was a charity or not. And I'm going to rub the Democrats' noses in that. I'm going to, I'm going to call out people in the media because I have some specifics in mind about this, some specific individuals who were just playing so dumb and not even playing. They were pretending to just be stupid. Because it's not possible to look at what was going on with the Clinton Foundation with all the donations and the speeches and all this stuff and not realize that this was a scam and that it was so wildly dishonest. Uh, but there are plenty of journalists who went along and pretended because they looked, they thought they, they assumed Hillary was going to win. So they would do anything, you know, no matter what Democrats think of the people who are with Trump from the very beginning, at least they were taking a risk. By supporting a candidate that people didn't think was going to win. The Hillary, no matter what crowd, not only were they wrong, and not only they're supporting a terrible candidate, but they're wimps too. They don't have the courage of their convictions. They just wanted to bet on a winner. Other shows just talk at you. In the Freedom Hut, we have a mission. Right, we, we fight for the truth in a team effort. Roger, Roger. And Buck is back with our next play. All right, here's I almost wish I could hear it right now. I see that there are some, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if they're both former military. I think there's a couple of generals on CNN right now talking about Bergdahl. I'm just wondering what the, the former generals on the CNN payroll think about this. Um, all right. Well, I can't hear it, but I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm just musing out. I know, I know one of them is a general. I don't know if the other one is or not. I can't see his name. Anyway. Uh, so where was I on all this? Oh, we've got the memo. We've got, we've got the memo. We've got the DNC memo. It's Friday, so I'm spicing it up in here. Uh, maybe I should stay away from singing, but we got a memo to look at. Or excerpts from the memo. Um, and, hmm, it's not as clear-cut as maybe some would have expected. And it's about the Hillary Clinton DNC deal. Here is what it says. It provides context. Now, this is from NBC News, so not quite Clinton, not not quite the Clinton News Network, but but pretty much the Clinton News Network, right? I, a subsidiary, a, a competitor, a pro-Clinton competitor to the Clinton News Network. Uh, but here's what they have here. Um, the August 26, 2015 Memorandum of Understanding from Clinton campaign manager Robbie Mook. Hey, Robbie Mook. I've always loved, you know, look, I know people like to say, say my name and make fun of it, too. So it's fine. You know, 
But it's always for like, hey, Robbie Mook, you know, hey, you, you, you going downtown to hang out with the guys? Yeah, I'm going to go see Robbie Mook. I just think it's a fun name. Um, so anyway, pardon me for the for the uh, digression there. Uh, campaign manager Robbie Mook to DNC CEO Amy Dacey details the relationship between Clinton's campaign and the DNC long before she won her party's nomination. In exchange for Hillary for America helping the cash-strapped DNC, the party committee... Now, this is the actual specifics from the memo, everybody. The party committee agreed that HFA personnel will be consulted and have joint authority over strategic decisions over the staffing, budget, expenditures, and general election-related communications, data technology, analytics, and research. Specifically, the DNC agreed to hire a communications director from one of the two candidates previously identified as acceptable to Hillary for America. And while the DNC maintained the authority to make the final decision on senior staff in the communications, technology, and research departments, the party organization said it would choose between candidates acceptable to HFA, Hillary for America. So there were some stipulations here. I mean, the the DNC, and and I would argue that this is just trying to leave itself some, some wiggle room. So it doesn't seem quite as obvious that they had just handed over to the um, handed over to the Clinton campaign all the power over the DNC because it's quite clear that that would be unfair. <laughs> so they they said, you know, yeah, Hillary, we'll, we'll give you say over a lot of stuff if you give the DNC money. But we're not saying you we're not saying you own the DNC. We're just saying you can rent it for a while. That's pretty much what the agreement says. Now, at the end, it does say, quote, nothing in this agreement shall be construed to violate the DNC's obligation of impartiality and neutrality through the nominating process. All activities performed under this agreement will be focused exclusively on preparations for the general election and not the Democratic primary. Well, that's what it says. But does anybody want to take a guess as to whether that's really true or not? I'm going to go out there and say that's probably not how things act, not how things went in reality. I'm going to go out there and say that there was all kinds of influence brought to bear. Um, but I will say this, regardless of the of the truth of of the situation, I am. Oh wait, right now I see this commercial with uh, Tom Steyer up. And it says, I know he's a super wealthy environmentalist Democrat guy. He's like a billionaire environmentalist Democrat. And this is a, this is totally separate, guys. From I, I know, I know. It's like, Buck, pay attention. Don't look for shiny objects. But it has American citizen under his description. It's like, what is, what is that? Oh, he's saying terrible things about Trump. Oh, needtoimpeach.com. That's what this is. Sign petition at needtoimpeach.com. Wow, I hadn't seen this before. So now you have billionaire environmentalists who are buying for ad space, calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump. (laughs) Oh, man. You got to love it. I mean, you got to hate it, but you got to love it at the same time. It's pretty amusing. That ad that I told you about a few days ago uh, with the Tea Party guy, where he has a Gadsden flag on the... He has a Confederate flag on the top of the pickup truck, a Gadsden license plate flag, a Gadsden flag license plate, 
and he's got like glasses on. He's got facial hair. Probably, you know, he's a, he's a tea party. He's a tea party guy. I mean, they just really went with just the most stereotypical. Oh, you know, right wing. I mean, you 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 so cartoonish the whole thing, right? He's got a giant Confederate flag hanging up, and he's trying to run down little kids, little minority children in a pickup truck. They pulled that ad. They pulled that ad because they're running that ad. When here in New York City, we actually had a real terrorist attack with people running people down in a pickup truck. Uh, so they did have to pull the ad, but they only pulled it when it was so clear that it was not just egregious in intent, but egregious in timing. Um, that that ad did go away. But wow. Trump, uh, anti-Trump hysteria is a very real thing. Oh, back so with the DNC stuff, I'll just close out with this. Watching the Democrats fight is fun, and watching the realization uh, come over the faces of many Hillary supporters, you know, watching the realization happen that they uh, they supported a candidate who was deeply corrupt and who was uh, clearly doing everything she could to manipulate the process and that the superdelegates and the fix was in and everything. It just goes more to our... Our overall thesis, one of our main theses, not like the 95 theses, but one of our main theses here at the Freedom Hut is that the system is really corrupt. The swamp is real. The need to shake things up is apparent. And whether it's the political process, the Department of Justice, or the media, a lot of stinky stuff going on. And even within the Democrats' own house, they can't play it straight. Hollywood depravity period is not only for children, for everything. I, I look at what's happening with that. And, and frankly, if they said some of the things about Obama, you would have people, politically correct people, say, oh, you can't say that. But with me, it's allowed. Uh, I think it's disgraceful. But we power forward. That was President Trump talking about, well, in general, the depravity in Hollywood. But also you have on uh, Snoop Dogg. And Dramos, I was under the impression that he was now Snoop Lion. He's back to Snoop Dogg. What happened to the lion? It it just it just oh it was like a temporary okay. Because I mean if it's you know I, I look I I've uh, I was gonna I was gonna say I don't have a dog in this fight, but that's not pardon me. I know I should show myself out, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he's now Snoop Dogg. Whereas, for example, uh, Puff Daddy was P. Diddy, and then was Sean Combs, and now is he Puff Daddy again? Or, not not sure. Okay, TBD. We're, we're, oh, just Diddy. Okay, so so maybe he's just Diddy. It's quite, a, quite a, a series, quite an evolution of, evolution of nomenclature some of these uh, performance artists have, or performers. Um, so Snoop Dogg has a... And I, I will tell you this now. For the, I, I believe, and I just did this without my parents knowing, I think the first VHS uh, cassette, not VHS, um, uh, what do you, you know, tape. What, what goes into a tape? The cassette tape, right? Whatever that's called. Um, the first cassette tape that I ever bought with my own money, I'm pretty sure was Snoop Doggy Dog, and it was the album where there's gin and juice. Yes, indeed. 
I know. Believe it or not, drama. It's a true story. A long time ago, um, I bought a cassette tape. I may have also bought the cassette tape for Salt and Peppa at the time. I don't know. This can neither be confirmed nor denied at this point. Uh, I was very young. I was very young, and I was just learning about the music scene. But I, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> if memory serves, those might have been the uh, the first two. Uh, those might have been the first two things that I I ever bought. So, uh, now on to what Mr. Snoop Dogg has done in this. Uh, he has an album that shows an image of a of a dead person under a flag. Oh my gosh! With a so keep in mind when I was telling you that I bought this is like over twenty years ago. So I didn't I didn't know any better. Uh, but Snoop Dogg has an album with a dead person under a flag with a toe tag saying Trump on it. Now, come on. I mean, we've had the whole the whole removal of uh, or the, you know, the Trump beheading thing with Kathy Griffin and you know, all this stuff. Um, but now you've got Snoop Dogg showing somebody that's supposed to be Trump or identified as Trump on his album. I mean, and you have what's it, Eminem, also known as Marshall Mathers. Uh, he did his whole anti-Trump rap thing. Okay, fine. This is, you know, the, I expect all this to happen, but there are some limits, you would think. Although, this is a separate discussion in a way. Or no, it's not a separate, well, it, yeah, it's separate from the whole Hollywood depravity in the sex assault cases discussion. And and that's just getting worse and worse all the time. Um, we have now, as I mentioned at the start of the show, Harvey Weinstein, according to the New York Post, could be arrested soon for a rape that is a seven years old here in New York City, meaning it occurred seven, seven years ago. New York, uh, some states do, some states don't have a statute of limitations for forcible rape. It depends on the specifics of the sex crime. New York and California for a class A felony uh, rape, do not have any, which means rape by rape via force, uh, do not have any statute of limitations. So that means that if there is enough corroborating information and if they go through those investigative steps for, in this case, I believe they're talking about, uh, what's the actress's name? Paz de la Huerta. Uh, she claims that he was... She alleges that he was uh, that he raped her on two occasions, and he may be arrested, um, and that will just add a whole nother chapter into this incredible downfall, incredible series of revelations. And it, and it's not just Weinstein; uh, you have many more individuals who are not only never going to work again, uh, but could face criminal sanctions for their uh, sexual, uh, sexually predatory behavior, for their sexual deviancy, all, all of these different... Uh, it depends on which famous person we're talking about here. But, for example, Kevin Spacey, whom I know mostly from uh, the usual suspects, but there are uh, certainly... Um, there are certainly lots of things he's been in, most famously recently, the show uh, House of Cards, which I always thought was very overrated. Um, I did not think that House of Cards was a particularly uh, great show, especially after the first season. 
And it's the second season. You know what? I don't mind if I spoil it for you. The second because it's not good. The second season is just jumps the shark right away. Doesn't even wait to jump the shark. It's just like, oh, there's a shark. Let's jump it. And the second season jumps the shark right away. Uh, and they're not going to make another season of House of Cards. But Kevin Spacey not only has has been uh, accused of trying to uh, have a a sexual relationship with I think a 14 or 15 year old at the time. But also now there's another guy in the U.K. where there's no statute of limitations for sex crimes. Uh, says that Spacey and him actually had a sexual relationship when he was 14. Uh, and then there are other, this is all in the Drudge Report. I mean, it's just one series of of allegations about Spacey and Weinstein and all these guys after another. And then uh, there's also the, the people on, on the show, House of Cards. I think six different people said that. Kevin Spacey is involved in sexual misconduct. I, you know, given all, and, and it, it is impossible to just skip over this, right? Given all of the lecturing and posturing and posing from Hollywood over the years on so many issues, but but, but particularly on issues where they could have a where there's a lot of moral preening to be done, that some of the most prominent people in this industry were serial sexual predators and that this was covered up covered up by legions of people for decades is i don't i I don't know if this ever you know if the industry i mean these individuals are obviously in a lot of trouble as they should be i don't know if the industry is ever really the same maybe now there'll finally be the 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 disaggregation of creative content that many have been expecting for a while, meaning that Hollywood has had this this grip on um, you know, the Hollywood industry and the big studios have had this control over movie making and over uh, what TV shows get made and all this. And I just think that this might be this might be the beginning of a of a very re, a very big shift in all of that. This may change uh, pretty dramatically um, because the, the mythology of Hollywood is is shattered forever as a place that, you know, oh, it's where dreams come true and, you know, they're, they're making art and they're whatever. No, it's a really gross exploitative business that covers for predators. You know, that covers for predators. I wonder... You know, what will be a really interesting indicator is when will they make the first big movie or first big series the way they have, for example, I mean, Hollywood has gone after the Catholic Church with everything it has. And, I mean, I have seen some of this, some of the different shows and movies about this, uh, some others I haven't, but, I mean, they have gone after the Catholic Church for the sex abuse scandals in the church with with everything they've got, you know, an Oscar nominations and for the subject, you know, for things that deal with that subject matter. I wonder when there'll be, a, you know, when the Harvey Weinstein biopic will be. That really speaks the truth. And that, and that shows all the quizlings and the, uh, the cover-up artists and just, ugh, those who are complicit in all of this. I wonder when that will happen. I mean, I'm, I think it'll, it'll still be a while. But I can't even, I like I was saying before, I can't even keep up with all this. And... It's going to have a pretty profound effect on on pop culture and on the media. And who knows where this is going to end. 
He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back to uh, Freedom Hunt, my friends. Third hour. Um, as you know, we are uh, not able to take calls today, but uh, we will be in a, well, we'll take calls every other day. We just, uh, producer Amy had to take the dog to the vet in an emergency, and I told her, go take care of it, and the dog is now fine, and uh, I just am going to have to talk to you a little bit more today than I usually would on a Friday. We will have action movie, maybe I'll update the action movie quotes in the intro for next week. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, so there is that. And also, I would ask you, if you don't mind, please do uh, download the podcast of the show and uh, tell somebody about it this weekend. That would be, if you want to help out the team, that would be a great way to do it. You can also go to BuckSexton.com slash store if you would like to buy a T-shirt or gear. We have it up there for all of you. Um, I just think it's kind of funny. This is an aside, and then I'll get into something else. But President Trump, or this is the breaking news on CNN. President Trump arrives in Hawaii. Russia cloud hangs over trip. <laughs> I love this. This could be the, uh, this could be the, <laughs> oh man, the Chiron on any, just, just on absolutely any CNN story. That deals with the president, right? It's something happens and then hyphen Russia cloud hangs over it, <laughs> right? You know, GDP numbers come out for this quarter. Russia cloud hang, wah, wah, Russia cloud hangs over it. So there's no, there's no surprise here, but it's, it's amazing to have all these. I have these monitors on in the Freedom Hut and it's, as I've told you before, I, I, I can't hear because I'm doing all the audio here myself in the, in the room, but. I can certainly see what's up on the screens, and uh, it's fun too because I see my friends going up on going on Fox, and I'm like, "Oh, they're so and so," and I kind of want to wave to them in my head. And then on CNN, I see people, and I go, "Oh, that that guy." I remember that guy. I don't like that guy. You know, that's that's what ends up going through my head. But it is fun to see the just the script at the bottom because usually I think when you're watching, it's all, it's easy to not really pay attention to the script below. But if you're on mute, you see it. And you really get a sense. It's, it's like comparing headlines from different, new, different newspapers, right? But yeah, Trump arrives in Hawaii. Russia investigation cloud hangs over trip. Well, the Russia investigation cloud hangs over everything, if, you're, if you believe the way things go at CNN. Um, I, I, I think that they are uh, unlikely to change their ways over there anytime soon. I think that they are quite, uh, quite happy with the the state of things right now, whereby they are, there is they are the resistance, right? They are very much pleased with their role as the center of all things anti anti Trump. They're the center of the anti Trump uh, universe over there, or trying to be. I don't know. I think a lot more people are actually watching uh, MSNBC these days, which is which is pretty amazing when you think about it. So I'll I'll continue to to. Uh, Hold them up for scrutiny, my friends, as a person who has fled, has fled the clutches of the anti-Trump media resistance. Not that I was ever a part of the anti-Trump media, but I did, I did work over it. I was over in the Death Star for a while and I escaped. <laughs> so there's that. Um, there's that. I, you know, I, I, I mentioned later on, I'm going to mention to you, um, or we're going to get into just a quick update on the. Las Vegas shooting investigation. And I had said to you that there were people and, you know, that that there are 
some who were very upset at Trump for calling for the death penalty for the uh, Saipov, the vehicle terrorist here in New York City, or you know, vehicle terror attacker. We, we don't really have particularly good, and this is just, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but we don't really have good terminology for these things. A vehicle attack isn't really, uh, doesn't really convey enough specifics. It's a little clunky as a phrase. Uh, but here is what a Wall Street Journal, this is a guy at the Wall Street Journal who was upset. He was on MSNBC and he was upset at Trump for his unwillingness to demand, well, you'll hear it from him. The, the unifying thread is the sort of broader politics of Donald Trump, the, the ethnocentric nationalism. He did not react this way when a white person shot dozens of people in Las Vegas. He did not come and say, well, we have to do an immediate policy change. We need to give this guy the death penalty. That is true. He did not say that uh, Trump did not say that that we should give the Las Vegas shooter the death penalty, which, as I mentioned yesterday, is is a there's pretty clear reason for that. Um, It's it's quite obvious, I think, why he did not do that. But if you are so deranged and deluded with anti-Trump venom and hatred, then you will find a way to even skip over the most obvious things in order to jump right to Trump is terrible. Trump's a white nationalist. Trump only cares about uh, terrorism that comes from the Islamic jihadist side of the spectrum and nothing else, you know, nothing else matters to him or whatever. I mean, it's just it's quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of nonsense. And uh, David Gregory, who was formerly of NBC, now he's a CNN political analyst. Uh, he he also got in on this line of analysis. When you talk about the issue of guns versus terrorism, those who support gun rights say, don't make these kinds of changes. Don't be rash about this because they, they don't work. These steps won't work and we can show that. When it comes to tightening immigration, they ignore arguments about whether it'll work or not. They just say, well, we have to tighten controls, whether it's relevant or not, whether it works or not. That's Let's do anything point. we can to cut it off. <laughs> it seems to leave out that with the Second Amendment and, and U.S. citizens, you're talking about a constitutionally protected right. With immigration, but this is very important, everyone. This really gets into the into the heart of what the progressive left still does not understand, still not getting it on this. And that is, the rights of citizens are more important to the American people than the inconveniences of non-Americans in getting into the country, for example. They, they still don't get this. They're still not gathering up that there is a substantial separation between the uh, infringements on rights that we are willing to or not willing to endure when it comes to U.S. citizens and constitutionally protected rights versus, and this goes right to the heart of the travel ban, right? Well, if somebody from another country, do they get to come here? Is it annoying for them? Does it take them a while? Well, you know, if it has any chance of making us safer, we're willing to... A lot of us, at least, are willing to make that trade-off. We're not in any, you know, let's give up our rights if there's any chance of making us safer. But let's let's make uh, immigration stricter into the country or or visa policy stricter for the country. If that has a chance of making us safer, yeah, we are. But th- this is with a few moments thought and and just the application of of reason and, and a fair-minded. Look at this. You'd come to these conclusions. But it's just better on the left to be like, oh, yeah, you know, they're just a bunch of gun nuts and they don't care about anything else. They simply do not care. Um, and, and then you just have people 
who can't hide their anti-Trump animus and revel in it on air as well. I, I think that, wasn't Nicole Wallace formerly a Republican? Yeah, she was like a George Bush person, I think. Like, There's great job security now in being a conservative who goes on television to trash uh, to trash those who are affiliated with Trump, who support Trump. This is a career-enhancing move in left-wing media. Be the conservative that's bashing Trump all the time. But Nicole Wallace was over at MSNBC, and this is how she reacted to the, the one Trump supporter on the panel. They went on and then worked with Kremlin tied connections to provide misinformation about the then candidate, later president elect of the United States, and to make matters worse, the Hillary Clinton campaign, through their operatives, peddled this trash. Mark, to I, the I will. People starting last Mark, Mark, Mark just, hey, just hey, 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 Mark, I will, I will call some friends over at Fox and try to get you a booking, but we're, we're not going to peddle. That, that's not true. And all we're asking you, listen, we appreciate that you come here and speak yeah. on behalf of Donald Trump, but why can't you say that we don't know? I mean, we know there was attempted collusion. If it's not a crime, why are you so defensive about it? Well, I'm not being defensive. You're you are madly defensive. You're about to jump through the camera and punch. Well, when I get called, when I get called being untrustworthy. Well, I'm why can't you say that it's possible that collusion took place? It's probably going to end up that they tried and were incompetent colluders. So, so, uh, so nasty to the one. Trump supporter on that panel. But this is the expectation you have when you go out there and you leave. Look, if, if basically, if you're not on Fox and you're going to go on cable news these days, you're just going to come under assault. And this is considered normal now. And it always has been. I mean, it's, but now we, we have normalized or the media has normalized Trump bashing on TV in a way and Trump supporter bashing on TV in a way that they can never come back from now. And that's, I think, what they don't really, they have yet to really understand. It's not like, oh, things will, will, things will just change and they'll be, nope. We will always, we will always remember. Um, there is greater accountability now for the left-wing anti-Trump media, for the never-Trump media than there ever would have been in the past. And part of it is technological, but also I think we are just savvier consumers of media now because we have more options and more ability to fact check them. And right before I, uh, right before I came on here, speaking of fact checks, I saw that there was a, this is one of the other CNN headlines on the bottom of the screen, or they call it a Chiron or whatever. Zero evidence U.S. struck ISIS 10 times harder after uh, NYC attack. So now the media has also turned to taking fact checking every statement Trump makes as though it's a, it's a literal statement of fact, right? So when he says we're going after ISIS 10 times harder, zero, this, I'm not making this up, zero evidence that they have gone after Trump 10 times harder. I mean, gone after ISIS 10 times. They've gone after Trump 10 times harder. Uh, this is just standard operating procedure now for them. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, we will uh, get into some Team Buck Speaks coming up and also the Antifa apocalypse is supposed to happen this weekend. If you're going to hear that, you got to stay around. It's been a month since the mass shooting in Las Vegas. And while, as I have pointed out to you, there's uh, a lot of really stupid commentary from the left about how, you know, why didn't Trump call for the death penalty for the Vegas shooter? We already addressed that. It wasn't just GQ magazine. There are there commentators. There are others out there who also jumped on that line. It's amazing that anybody could be that 
obtuse, but it did happen in multiple cases from the left. But anyway, all, back to the investigation. Let's let's focus on that for a moment here. Not a lot of follow up. Not much in the way of explanation. We still don't have a clear uh, motive. And I would also think that there would be more footage. There'd be more information shared with the public about this guy, because by putting even what seems like rudimentary information out there, video of uh, of Paddock, of Stephen Paddock at the casino or whatever it is that they have. I mean, clearly a video of him. I know they don't have necessarily video in his hotel room or the hallway, but they have him coming and going. And I haven't seen much of that. And there was also a, a recent change once again in the timeline with police that just didn't make any sense to me. But here's what I have today. And th- this comes from uh, the Daily Mail, which is uh, picking out some excerpts from Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo speaking in an interview uh, earlier in the week. And here's what we, here's what they they picked out from the interview. The following Vegas Sheriff says Stephen Paddock lost large chunk of his wealth gambling and buying properties and thinks money woes may have pushed him over the edge. Um, the sheriff said that Paddock lost a, a portion of his wealth over the last two years because of his gambling habits. And they're thinking that maybe now this is what this is what happened. There's not much more than that. Now, this would just be another way of saying that uh, Paddock decided to engage in a mass murder spree because he was a bitter, angry, crazy loser. If, If this is, in fact, the motive, well, then that is possibly a motive. Right. This is Paddock. As a you remember when people used to say and it was a term and it was a very a term that should not be used. People would say, oh, somebody went postal because there were a series of shootings involving members of the Postal Service. And this was a term that was really, I think, the late 90s, early 2000s. You would hear uh, because there had been some high profile shootings by federal employees of the, of the Postal Service. And they just snapped after frustration and bitterness and rage completely overtook them. And I would note that I think in over a long enough period of time, those feelings could actually become or those feelings could actually influence the architecture of the brain. I'm somebody who thinks that thought patterns and that this gets into the hard wiring of the brain itself and that we, we, we there's so much still that we have not learned about uh, about neurochemistry and, and uh, neurobiology, uh, but. We do know that some of the mental illnesses uh, can actually be seen in different forms of electronic scan. And if you are depressed, they can see major depression. They can see Uh, in this instance with this individual, he may have just become so bitter and so uh, so hateful that it turned into a form of, of psychosis with him. Uh, and he, instead of going in and shooting up his workplace, he shot up the place that he maybe decided to blame for his uh, his woes, his his shortcomings. I, again, I, I'm reaching, I'm grasping, but I I'm just working with the information as as presented. Uh, there's just not much more. His his girlfriend. I saw the report that his girlfriend, police are a little still wondering if maybe she knew something she hasn't told them, but. 
this is an investigation. We've had very few answers and still a whole lot of territory has been left wide open that I, I thought might be closed at this point, although I should note that early on I was saying that this is one of those cases we may never have a really clear picture, and I think that that has proven to be the case so far, uh, or at least that prognostication has been largely accurate. So the Las Vegas shooting, still not much other than Paddock was deteriorating financially before his mass murder spree. Continue to look at this, and if we have uh, any more going forward, I will uh, certainly cover it here on the show. And if you have any theories, by all means, let me know. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. When I come back, we will get into the Antifa apocalypse, which is being reported now. There's supposed to be a whole bunch of big Antifa rallies this weekend. Will they really mean anything? Will it get into anything? I'll talk to you about that. And then also we've got some Team Buck Speaks coming up, and that's always fun. It's a bit of a surprise for me, too. I generally, I've read through some of them before I go on air, but I also pick out some of your messages on the fly and I have to, of course, proofread and make sure that if there's a Team Buck hater in the mix that I don't, uh, I don't allow any, any profane verbiage to creep into the show. The Antifa apocalypse. Woo! Who knew that that was a thing that we are going to have to think about this coming weekend? Here, here's what we get, uh, courtesy of Fox News. Anarchist group plans to overthrow Trump regime starting Saturday. And here's the, the, the piece on this one. A series of anti-government leftist rallies set to descend on major cities nationwide Saturday is drawing the attention of local officials who, like the organizers themselves, fear the events could be um, ha- hijacked by violent masked anarchists. The left-wing Refuse Fascism group is using November 4th as its kickoff day for demonstrations In nearly two dozen U.S. cities, protests, it says, will continue uh, day after day and night after night, not stopping until our demand is met. The demand is the removal of President Trump and Vice President Pence. And people are calling this the Antifa apocalypse. Antifa! If you remember from President Trump. Antifa! Antifa! It was good times. Um, He's... Always a very entertaining fellow. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a lot of Antifa groups getting together. Uh, The cities where this is going to happen are Atlanta, Austin, Boston, Chicago, blah, 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 Los Angeles. Oh, I was looking for this. New York City. Hmm. Am I going? Now now I have to think about this. Am I going to leave uh, the the comfort of of my apartment and and my my large, soft, couch and Netflix and my refrigerator, am I going to leave these things behind to go see what the Antifa crazies are up to here in New York City over this weekend? Um, We will see. Um, I'm going to have to think about this. I used to do this all the time with uh, Occupy Wall Street. I I used to be very much uh, covering, I used to be very much involved in covering them for The Blaze. Uh, I think this is probably going to be a whole big bunch of nothing, which is why I'm not spending too much time on it today. I, I think it's likely that the, uh, I think it's likely that this Antifa stuff is just going to 
you know, it'll be what it always is, right? They get in the black block and they'll destroy some stuff, but, you know, it doesn't really change very much um, unless this gets really big. And quite honestly, as long as they stay within the boundaries, and look, I, I, I abhor violence in general, but I, I specifically abhor violence against people in the name of, of politics. Uh, but as long as they're just sticking to misdemeanor property destruction and disturbing the peace, it's not like they're about to kick off some kind of actual revolution, right? So I don't know what they – well, I, I know that this is really just about personal branding for them. It, it, it is a, a way to feel – if you are a committed leftist, it's a way to feel like you're making a difference in the, as part of the anti-Trump resistance. You know, you're – you're making a difference as, I don't know, as, as a progressive social justice warrior who dresses in all black and then just, you know, creates this mob on the streets. Um, there's just not a lot. There's just not a lot here. here here's what they say. Uh, the Revolutionary Communist website says this nightmare must end. And that captures how many millions of how millions of people feel right now where you may fer- face persecution or even death. That's according to Andy Z, a member of the advisory board of Refuse Fascism. He has called for a, quote, ferocious struggle between normal forms of petition. They do not apply. Oh, oh, because normal forms of petition do not apply with Trump. Recently, several members of the group shut down a Los Angeles highway with November 4th. It begins signs in a show of nonviolent civil disobedience. He's I, you know. I like to try to take the other side seriously when it comes to all kinds of political disagreements. But this Antifa stuff, I mean, this is just this is just clown clownishness. This is clownery, clowndom. They are clowns. Uh, I'm just I think I'm probably gonna have to try to track them down. I'll find them on social media and none of them listen to right wing radio or or watch anything other than left wing news. So they'll have no idea who I am. So I'll just show up and I'll, I'll, I'll wear a, you know, I'll wear like my oldest hoodie. Just be like, what's up, guys? I just hang out. It's just like, oh, Trump's a fascist, man. It's going to be crazy. I've got an idea. Why don't we lie down in the street like heroes? Not heroes, my friends, but zeros. Antifa's apocalypse starts tomorrow, they say. We will see. I have a feeling that it uh, is going to be a waste of everybody's time except for the people that are there because let's be serious they don't really have much to do well team i have a uh, very exciting weekend planned of not really much of anything i'm gonna get into season three of narcos again i'm a few episodes into it i have to say it is so far living up to all the hype which for me is rare i i occasionally get a little bit of heat for being overly critical when it comes to Oh, the different uh, offerings in the movie theaters. But when it comes to TV shows, I like to think that I'm uh, fair-minded about what's good and what's not. Narcos is phenomenal. I look, I like to get all excited about Stranger Things Season 2. If you haven't seen it, I, I'd recommend checking it out. It's also something you can watch as a family, which is nice, which is not true of Narcos Season 3. I'm somebody with a pretty strong... Well, no, that's not really that true. But I've seen a lot of very violent stuff in TV and movies, and there's some there's some moments in Narcos season three that are that are akin to those points in Game of Thrones where you find yourself going, 
oh, I don't know if I should have seen that. That's 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 not good. But it's a great show overall. Writing's really good. Acting's really good. I really enjoy it. A Stranger Things, a lot of nostalgia for me. Reminds me of the 80s when video games were this incredible new creation. I, I remember sometimes, uh, and my mother, to her credit, was always trying to get me to focus on like schoolwork and, and reading and not spend quite as much time as I wanted to just watching my eyes fall out of my head from playing video games. Uh, but some of those arcade games in the early days, I, mean, I remember going to actual video arcade and just pumping quarter after quarter into some of these things like Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat. I think I probably spent like a month's allowance on that game once. So anyway, there's a lot of nostalgia for those of us who miss the 80s and Pac-Man and Walkman and other man stuff. Uh, so I really do think you should check out Stranger Things. Now, with that all said, this is the point of the show where I like to get into the latest from Team Buck Speaks. So let's do it. Here we go. First, from Sony. She writes, uh, this was on Thursday. Buck, you look good this morning. Fox is lucky to have you. Wish I can see you speak. I wish I could see you speak more. Uh I hated it when you were interrupted at CNN over and over again. Wish you a lot of success, Sony. Well, thank you, Sony. I can tell you that I also hated it when I was interrupted at CNN over and over again. Although it did let me come up with some of my rules of the road for how you know when the fix is in on a cable news segment. And that's whoever the anchor needlessly interrupts first. That's who the anchor disagrees with. And that's sending a signal to the audience that that person is bad. And I, at, at CNN, I was always the one who would get uh, those, those interruptions right away, fast and furious. TJ writes in with the following. Buck, in regards to all the Buck haters out there and the emails you get from them, have you ever thought about doing a Buck hater segment where you pick like two or three of the most ridiculous emails you've received Read them aloud in pajama boy voice, of course, and then proceed to dissect their argument. I'm always up for a good chuckle by tearing apart some libs with some sound logic and a few good buck slaps. Just a thought. Uh, TJ, it's a great thought. I don't get thoughtful, uh, hateful messages. I just get idiotic, profane, hateful messages. If it were the case that I found a few emails from liberals who wanted to disagree with me on the merits and not just tell me, uh, how ugly my face is and how, how much they hate the sound of my voice, I would be happy to read those emails on air and tackle the subject matter. But for right now, I've just got to tell you, there's really not a lot of that. It's a lot more, hey, your stupid face, you know, There's and, and nasty curse words, usually in all caps. That's how you know. I can usually tell by the first letter of the email if it's from, if it's from a buck hater because it immediately goes into all caps and there's there's uh, potty language. Um, then we have, we've got so many messages here, I'm trying to make sure that I pick some. Uh, oh, here, this is from Will. He writes, Maliotakis has been taking it to Warren Wilhelm. Warren Wilhelm, hello, guten tag. Warren, did you know that while the rest of New York City is having a terrible time on the subways because they're awful and they get stuck all the time, that uh, Warren Wilhelm, he find himself, like, driving 40 minutes in the motorcade to get to his gym in Brooklyn. Yeah, Warren, 
That's also Bill de Blasio. Hey, Billy de Blasio. Um, anyway, Will, Will writes in, and obviously Warren Wilhelm, he just set me off there. Meliotakis has been taken into Warren Wilhelm big time in the mayor's race. And I wrote back, nice. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, it's good to know that there's somebody putting up a fight against the progressive madness that is offered up to us by the Democrat Party here in New York City. Uh, Catherine writes in great on Fox all day shields high. That was on Wednesday. Thank you, Catherine. Do what I can over there. Making the making the uh, the best of the time that I get on air. Uh, we have Aries writing in. Uh, in well, well, he's written in a lot. I'm trying. Good job on the segment pointing out to the public that these dirt bags are protected. Uh, quote, why didn't wasn't this guy on anyone's radar? He was all over social media, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not illegal. And it would bankrupt the country, putting a cop on each of these guys 24 seven. Best is to not have them here in the first place. Uh, so uh, thank you, uh, Aries. And I completely agree. It's why I was saying it on TV. As much as there is this impulse and you'll you'll hear people saying it frequently on TV, there is this impulse to say that we should have caught whomever the terrorist was or whatever. There's this impulse to say that he wrote something bad on social media. Why didn't we stop him? Uh, It's not illegal. So what does stop him look like? Sure, maybe there's somebody that becomes a person of interest, but you can't put them under 24-7 surveillance. And unless we're going to start criminalizing speech, even evil jihadist speech is not going to be something that gets you locked up. Although... Isn't it interesting how the left wants hate speech to be a crime that you could be punished for criminally, but they do not believe that hateful jihadist speech is hate is a hate crime. Usually they they create this uh, separate designation for it somehow. So, yes, that is absolutely, absolutely a, a great point, Aries. Thank you for all of your astute commentary. I've got, you know, there's some commentators or, or rather some listeners who you know, they, they're always calling balls and strikes on the Buck Sexton show. It's like one day it's, hey, man, great work on this. The next day it's, you know, I thought you were kind of mailing that one in. And I'm like, all right, I'll try harder. I should say a lot of stuff, and I don't have time to read all of it, a lot of stuff from you all about the Martin Luther segment. And can I just point out that I'm not responsible for what what uh, Eric Metaxas says. <laughs> he is responsible for what he says in terms of, his positions on Martin Luther. I don't know much about Martin Luther. He just wrote a book on Martin Luther. He's telling me what his book is about, right? I mean, if it were a subject matter that I'd spent a lot of time on, maybe I would have challenged it a bit. Or, But uh, I just think it's kind of funny. People are like, how could you say those things about Martin Luther? I didn't say anything about Martin Luther. I just said, tell me about Martin Luther. With that in mind, here's Kirk writing in. Buck, regarding the 500th anniversary of the 95 Theses, I appreciate your guest's enthusiasm. However, I don't see Martin Luther as a hero for freedom and the search for truth, as your guest suggested. Martin Luther started a wave of relativism in the Christian faith that now has more than 20,000 Christian denominations. Yes, the indulgences were an ugly chapter in the Catholic Church. However, no doctrine was ever changed. I love the search for truth in politics and the search for truth in the Catholic faith. In both, the truth cannot be watered down. Sorry to mix politics and faith. Just my two cents. That's Kirk from Houston. Well, Kirk, thank you so much for your note. And 
I will uh, I will tell you to send along a similar comment, if you will, to Eric. I'd be curious to know what his response is to this. But I, I tend not to get too deep into the uh, inter- intramural uh, feuds between various Christian sects. I don't think that's I think that's a lose lose for me here. Uh, I prefer to I prefer the cross versus crescent discussions. Uh, let's see, what we have here we have uh, Seth writes in, love how you wrap it all up, Buck. Be safe. Uh, okay. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate that very much. And we also have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking as I go here because there, there are a lot of them. Michael writes in, Mr. Saxon, you have the potential to become the outstanding radio show of my generation. You are good. Is that enough? And then he gives me a whole bunch of people that he'd like me to listen to. And then he says, I've listened to shows for 65 years, and you have a chance for the top of the tower. This is Mike uh, or Michael in New Orleans. Michael, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I, I have, if I had the time, I would read through your list of individuals to listen to, but I'm looking at it right now, and I will give a listen. Uh, great, or uh, rather, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And while you obviously can't steal content on radio, you can certainly pick up I mean, I guess you could. That would be a very bad idea. You could certainly pick up some tricks of the trade, and I, I have. Uh, look, I make no, I make no secret of it. I mean, I've learned from the greats. I haven't just filled in for them. I've been listening to them for many, many years. Rush, Glenn, Sean. Uh, you know, these are the people that I've been listening to on radio to learn this craft. And my years at the Blaze uh, with Glenn, and then listening to Rush and Sean. Uh, for a, for I don't know I don't I can't even think of how many years now. That's really the best way to pick this up. It's a it's an audio it's an audio based medium, and you got to listen to know what's going on. So, but thank you for your kind words about my uh, possibly being the next big thing in radio. That sounds great to me. Let's let's make that happen. Uh, and with that, oh, if you want to write me a message this week with this weekend, Facebook.com. Slash Buck Sexton is where you should go with that. Um, the whole team sees them, but I, I will definitely read them, and I'll respond as quickly as I can. Uh, so please do write me. Uh, let me know what you think about the show, ideas you have for segments. We've got any any number of things that we could uh, tackle and talk about here on the show that I'm sure you would like to let us all know about. Um, and with that, I will uh, let you get off the uh, well, I'm the one getting off the air, but you, you can get going with your weekend and enjoy it, please. That is your homework. I'm going to be heading out to California woohoo! on Sunday. I'll be in California. I'll be broadcasting all next week, but I'll be in California next week broadcasting. So uh, looking forward to that. I have some, uh, some business to tend to out there. I'll be in Northern California, so... I really don't know the area very well. Bay Area, here I come. Oh, yeah. Should be fun. So have a great weekend. I'll be back with you on Monday. And until then, you know, no matter what comes your way, shields high.